Hi, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey. Each week, I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful, how they develop those skills, and their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Come learn what skills help you live your best life. This week, we have a special episode we are calling Happy Hour of Awesomeness. <laughs> As you can see, this is the first time we've had three guests on, which is fantastic. Three of my colleagues have joined us, and they I'm going to have them each introduce themselves. Uh, Justina, let's start with you. Hello, everybody. I'm Justina Sala, EVP Analytics with MZ. A lot of a lot of my work focus on um, how we how we understand skills, how we bring skills to life, how do we get insights out of skills, and all all things uh, skills analytics. Fabulous, Stuart. I'm Stuart Muller. Uh, I'm MZ's director of higher education consulting, and uh, I cover a range of R and D related projects for MZ that serve the higher ed space. And I get to work with Justina a lot, uh, sometimes to her pleasure and sometimes to her pain. <laughs> when you start asking questions. <laughs> I'm Wayne Geary. I am uh, a location economist at MZ. I, uh, I use geography uh, to determine what the best places to uh, strategically set up your company and uh, do contextual analysis around that for many of the Fortune 500 companies uh, in the world. Fabulous. And for those of you who are have been listening in to Let's Talk About Skills Baby, I am also the Global Skills Evangelist for MZ. So we are all here today chatting about what is going to be amazing in 2021. So because first of all, as you can see, some of us, for those of you who are watching as opposed to listening, we are themely dressed for the holidays with some amazing gear here. Um, I really would like Stuart to give us a quick show of his sweater. <laughs> and I will describe that there are cats on ornaments for anyone who's listening, it is gorgeous. <laughs> I will make sure that there's a picture shared on social media. Um, and of course, you can see my sweater. Um, but like we said, it is happy hour. So we're doing this in, in, in an evening recording. So we're all going to say a quick cheers to everybody. Wonderful. <laughs> all right. And who would like to kick us off? I feel like we have to say ladies first. So that's just going to be yes. <laughs> awesome. Should I start? Yes, jump in. All right, all right. So MZ has embarked on a really, really uh, cool journey a few years ago where we try to be the experts, I think, on everything regional, everything location, and everything skills. And these, I feel, are very, very uh, strongly entwined. Uh, you know, we as we did more and more research, you start to see that every region has its own almost DNA. And the DNA is made up of all its uh, demographics, socioeconomic characteristics, 
the industries, the businesses that are bringing it together. And it manifests, that DNA manifests itself in so many ways, including skills. And so that then brings in what is, what are, uh, the, the, what is the shape of something like cybersecurity in New York City? And how does that look? How different is that from Columbus, Ohio? So we started building you know, you know the, the, the pieces of the puzzle and all those building blocks were coming together. And now is the most exciting time because we are bow with all these building blocks to bring in all the insights and the insights would be how can I make a decision, my next move in, in, in my career journey, what is my best next move? Um, and maybe instead of just my next move, give me like, give me a plan, but a very, very organic plan that would grow with me and as the economy changes over the next three years. Um, and how will that mean in terms of jobs I should be taking, roles I should be trying to aspire to, training, micro-credentialing, and all that. So these are the pieces that we, we want to go a lot more into. So a lot more on insights, not just data, but insights. Uh, a lot more on career planning and skill pathing, actually. Um, expect more and more on that. And then also on what does that mean in terms of my credentialing and my partner in crime, Stuart, will talk a lot more about that. But these are these are the main pieces that uh, we're working on next year. And both partners in crimes, the location partner in crime and the uh, and, uh, and, uh, skills in higher ed and micro credentialing partner in crime are right here. So there you go. That sounds exciting. I feel like now that you've mentioned the micro-credentialing, Stuart should kind of jump in and tell us a little bit about that. I was setting him up. <laughs> yeah, well, as, as you've seen us said, we've embarked on this journey to essentially figure out how we can really unleash skills data, which has been something that's sort of been growing as a tidal wave over the years as we've kind of accumulated data that we can mine for skills. And the educational world is uh, sort of encountering this in two pretty fascinating ways right now. The first way, which is uh, sort of the, the trailblazing that Justina led, which is around identifying regional skill needs, mm -hmm. um, skill clusters, lots of different ways of talking about this, but being able to identify in your particular region um, what are the skills and the relationships between skills that are needed in certain sectors of the market? And so if I'm an educator, it's really important to be able to understand uh, whether or not I am training my learners with the right kind of skills to succeed in the market out there. And so identifying what the market actually wants in terms of skills is the first and foundational step. And that is a nut that we have essentially cracked at this point. Uh, it'll keep growing and um, gathering sophistication. And, um, and as you accumulate data, you can do all sorts of new things like analyze trends over time. But the basic ability to identify at a regional scale um, signals for the supply of skills based on who's working and what jobs in that regional market and the demand for skills based on the job postings that employers are putting out there 
looking for talent, um, we can now do some pretty amazing things. And this then corresponds directly to the micro-credentialing opportunity space. Mm -hmm. Now, traditionally, educators have looked at um, the market in terms of programs. And that's one of the reasons why skills flew under the radar for a long time, because at the programmatic scale, a particular skill is not all that powerful a data point. Now that we are decomposing the kinds of educational offerings that we produce, programs are still very important and degrees are not going away. They're still a bedrock of economics and uh, successful careers. But there's no question that we have this amazing new world of smaller scale educational offerings. And the skill scale is the perfect scale of data to feed that. And so right now, and coming into 2021, a major drive for MZ is to figure out how we can translate our skills analytics into powerful suggestions for micro-credentialing opportunities or any kind of short form educational certificate of some sort. Yeah, which I feel like is so important right now because it's not only the stuff that's been going on for years, AI, automation, all that stuff, but now like COVID has accelerated this change. And the way, I mean, actually I'd love Wayne to jump in here because I'm even hearing this concept of like urban centers adjusting and changing and where people are able to live um, and how that's changing their lifestyle because it's changing into sort of this gig economy that again was like slowly moving. We were slowly moving towards there, but now we're just accelerated. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, location, 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 right? It's, uh, we know that, uh, you know, it is cheaper to live for, especially people coming out of university mm -hmm. to live in, for example, I'm in Dallas, uh, North Dallas, outside of the core would be a cheaper place for people to live. So you get a lot of young technology workers, uh, in, you know, in North Dallas that uh, are being tapped into uh, as you know, one uh, centroid of uh, of technology worker that is in the country, and these these centroids now are starting to pop up all the all over the place, right there. Uh, you know, essentially at the beginning five years ago, uh, when we were doing uh, location intelligence for companies, when it was becoming very popular to understand uh, what the labor play in a market before uh, before a real estate transaction occurred what we do is look at, start to look at labor. And, and it was always San Jose, uh, you know, or New York or, or, or sometimes uh, North Texas, uh, but that, that's expanding around the country. So we're, we're able to see these, uh, these nodes popping up all over the place uh, that will be connected for companies uh, working uh, and driving business. So uh, consolidation is occurring as a result, businesses, um, already you're in a bunch of places, but they have brick and mortar in so many places, they don't need that anymore. And so they're getting rid of that. And uh, we've heard that with several different tech companies uh, and saying, you know, we're, we're gonna start uh, keeping our uh, employees at home working from there. And um, I think, you know, and this, this trend sort of started about having hoteling in, and in locations where teams could get together at times, but I think it's gonna explode now and you're going to see a much smaller footprint with respect to real estate space. Yeah. And I wonder too, like, as I think about this, one of the topics that came up for me today was like how this will interact with the higher ed 
environment, right? Because they own quite a lot of real estate in certain areas, right? Is this going to be a positive because maybe the ones that are outside of a metro area or could this be something they have to consider as well? Like, what are we going to use this space for if we're not going to have a mass amount of students on campus? Well, and what about schools? And if this happens again, and uh, uh, MZ has been working with New York Institute of Technology, the architectural class, and uh, that's very interesting, I think. But we look at this macro view about how this pandemic is impacting uh, communities and uh, working with a class, trying to come up with new ideas for that. I think we're going to see sort of, you know, what, like we've seen with the Olympics. Uh, they're not just building these Olympic mm -hmm. sites anymore. They're building these Olympic sites to be reformatted for other purposes. And I think we're going to see space being uh, reformatted for multiple purposes, including when we have these kinds of... Uh, and, you know, pandemic type events occur. Completely. And completely uh, parallel to that will be, uh, you know, a reformatting of, of, uh, of roles and what, what it means with all these transitions and all these consolidations and, and, and you know, the, the, the future of work will be very, very different. Um, the the future of uh, planning and 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 career pathing will be extremely different, um, and we we should expect more and more hybridization of roles. That that you you know there's not going to be in you know, this all that specialization because as people are consolidating space, they will be also consolidating. You will be doing A, B, and C, and we're going to give you technology that will automate a lot of the processes, but you need to have all these new skills. So lifelong learning and, 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 and an adaptation to all these changes are going to be very, very critical um, uh, you know, elements of everything that we are going into. And I think MZ is really gearing up and in a very, very unique spot to be able to pivot and help you know, support uh, both higher ed uh, institutions as well as businesses with the means to how to pivot. And, and of course, the workforce you know, development professionals, how would you pivot now that you, you have all these changes? You can't really go by what the occupation code says and what the industry says because mm -hmm. everything will be a mush. And it's yeah. a risk, but also a huge opportunity. Well, we don't, we, we see like complete industry is sort of having major shifts. But if you even think about uh, the conversation that I had before we jumped on was just with, in regards to diversity, equity, inclusion, and how that's changing HR. Every company right now is readjusting their focus when it comes to that. So if you think about just the change in skills, not only that people in HR, but in leadership now, because it's like creating professional development across the board and how you react to what's going on in your company culture. And it's like, I just see that as, to me, I'm like micro-credential, micro-credential. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. I love it. You I know talk about, about industries that have- Sorry, go ahead, Stuart, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, you know, you talk about industries that have been, that are being disrupted by these sort of, this reshuffling that's going on. Um, I mean, education, higher education, is probably one of, if not the most vulnerable industries for this situation, right? We've, we've, we've had this uh, explosion in the cost of higher education that uh, has raised all sorts of challenging questions. And now, um, and particularly in the wake of 
the pandemic and its effects on how education is delivered mm -hmm. is uh, sort of no putting the genie back in the bottle. Mm -hmm. And what was a slow burn of physical institutions adopting uh, virtual cloud-based online educational um, opportunities, uh, it's no longer now just a, a side hustle for an institution or, or a bit of a moneymaker. It's now necessary um, just to survive. And it's, uh, it's just accelerated a process that was happening naturally, but might have taken years. Um, it's pretty much taken a year. And 2021 is going to be the test for how, um, how adaptable institutions are to this new reality of people all over the country wanting to take educational offerings from anywhere else in the country and pursuing that can be done from anywhere in the country. Um, and actually, I think that's one place that MZ is doing something that's really exciting that serves this general need. You know, if I'm an educational institution and I want to um, pivot to offering micro-credentials or some kind of online short-form offering, mm -hmm. the biggest questions that um, arises is, well, um, what do I teach? What resources do I have? You know, we can... Um, like I said at the beginning, having these skills clusters and the data that we have, we know what is in demand, um, but what are the resources that institutions already have at hand that they can point um, in the direction of that demand? And so something that is uh, really uh, powerful um, that we have been pursuing quite intensively at MZ is this notion of skillifying curriculum and basically helping institutions take their curriculum content, uh, course descriptions, syllabus documents, and much like we do with job postings um, and translating those documents into um, skills, we now do that with educational documents mm -hmm. and so can help an institution um, build out a catalog of their programs and courses that is presentable in terms of skills. Um, and so immediately that unleashes all sorts of opportunities for identifying where in your existing educational offerings you have course content uh, courses that you can uh, turn towards this new need. Um, because knowing what you have and where it is is, is is the first problem before you can even think about um, actually. How many schools have we worked with that like their learning content was still in paper format so that like even just visibility across this and that concept of mixing and matching. And now when they're gonna to have to start thinking hybrid models like these employer partnerships, how can I just take from what I already have and create a new micro-credential as opposed to take like a year long process to create a whole new program? Yeah. Another powerful angle is, um, you know, students, um, forever have, um, you know, the age old complaint of a student, why am I even taking this course? You know, like, what's the purpose of this course in my program? Well, when your course content is available in terms of skills, suddenly you're able to start providing students with kind of skill scale transcripts that every course that they take, they're able to see what they're getting out of that course in terms of skills and in terms of skills that we know the labor market is looking for. And so we're able to better communicate to, to students the value of their courses and their programs um, 
and tying it directly to opportunities in the market, which I think is a huge um, piece of the puzzle because it's not just about making educational offerings available to people in formats and scales that they want, but it's actually being able to communicate the value of those educations during a time when there was so much sort of question about, well, where is the value and just what is the value? Yeah. And when you think of that as, again, too, like going back to this idea that anyone can work from anywhere, when you think about location-wise, right, it's honestly this, this communication layer, this understanding is going to need to happen in a much deeper way because you're not only going to be talking to employers in your community or potential learning opportunities in your community. This is global now. I, I think it's, I, I mean, that's a great point. I, 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 I mean, I think it, you know, cultural fit is going to be a, a big issue now. So while we know skills, what about, you know, uh, what's the psychographic segmentation becomes important? How well do they fit into the company and how uh, they have the skills, but are they going to fit into the culture of the firm itself? Because every firm has a culture. And so uh, I just, I also wanted to comment on uh, Stuart's, uh, um, uh, what Stuart had brought up, the you know the idea of uh, of skills are, are really we did a presentation with the uh, Texas colleges and um, he did some really cool uh, analytics around what's in demand. All of a sudden, what's in demand are things like epidemiologists, and I even got asked about that by the New York Institute of Technology. Uh, you know, well, they're all how can we create a shorter program to get people we need now for this. Uh, position because this may happen in the future. So now we need these healthcare experts that can tell us about uh, disease prevalence. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, shorter programs now have all of a sudden become in demand. Oh, you know, we, we identified or uh, Stuart identified sign language interpreters as well. So wow. uh, two things that we've seen uh, in the news and the media quite often. Yeah, that's really interesting. And if I may, I think I think we're talking about um, culture fit and um, and how a lot of the businesses are gonna are gonna be pivoting. But this exact scenario will happen at the college level. Um, who was your student? Do you really understand? You know what what kind of students you are serving? What are their needs? What are the needs of their communities? Uh, reasonably in, in terms of, you know, the, their socioeconomic ca characteristics, who they are, what are their aspirations. But then same like, you know, when if, if we're talking about micro-credentialing, like the degree that this, the, a degree as, we, we, there's going to need to be some unjailing of the degree. Like it's almost like, you know, another little micro-gig economy that is happening with, what, with the learning experience where there are gonna be some courses that are very, very educational, but the student path, and if, we are, if we're thinking about the entire student path, as I have like 120 gold mine pieces, right? That, you know, every credit is, is, is sort of a treasure. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at it in terms of that treasure and how I can optimize my path within my, you know, given my aspirations and given where, you know, what, what my likes, I like music, but I also want to contribute to the society in this way. And then what does that mean in terms of my region is because I am a member of my community, especially if that member of the community want to be giving back, 
in inside that community what does that mean and i think i think all this pose some really really uh, big opportunities for higher ed but also risk because you know we are thinking you need to take 20 credits here five credits here seven credits here good luck whereas we are here sort of uh, almost, almost destroying that paradigm altogether, and 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 it's like no, there are there are there's more to it than just here is a check mark that I have my you know five credits in social science and four credits in science that can be that can be like a treasure. You can be exactly who you want if we understand. So targeting the degree a little more, mm-hmm. targeting the the institution and it its own culture to who has been coming and understanding that culture more and more, we're talking about market segmentation of the students and who who are they, what are their needs and who's traditional, who's untraditional, which is also a very, very silly dichotomy. All this you're gonna need to, to shake up um, in, 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 in this new economy we're living and, 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 and now that everybody's a lifelong learner, what does that mean? In terms of everything, in terms of who you are marketing your, you know, your offerings to, how are you bringing them in? How are they funding their education? What are they doing? What is their cycle? And is it going to be like, you know, a good four years? I'm, I'm going to be like outside of everything work related for four years? No, no, it's different because because everybody's has pivoted and education needs to pivot just as much. Well, if you think about that, I'll just touch on the funding model piece for one moment is that, you know, there's all of this talk now and all of these initiatives happening around funding non-credentialed education. So as we start to see this shift as where dollars are being put, um, even like a micro-credential is one thing, right? But then if you all of a sudden as higher ed, if you start to have a lot of competitors that people are able to use their funding towards, this obviously changes the way that you're thinking about creating programs and even going back to the skills, right, Stuart, like that even makes that even more important because you're going to have to show this return on investment in the strongest of ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Wayne, I want to hear more about the location side of things because like I, I realize this is probably the less skilled part about our conversation, but I find it really fascinating because of just the changing ways of art, not only in our country, I'm curious, are you also doing work like globally in regards to this? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I, I think skills are still important, right? I mean, it, it's become more important globally. Um, a good example is if you're looking for programmers, you're not, ju- you're not just looking for programmers, you're looking for programmers with specific skills. And so um, the, you, we have that data now and we're able to, I think we have over 45 countries of data now and uh, we're able to understand uh, if, a, if a company is deciding, uh, you know, to put a business operation in India, where specifically, it's a big location. Uh, Google once asked me about five years ago, we don't care where, just India. And so, I mean, that, that's impactful to uh, a business, right? It's, uh, it's really impact, impactful and um, they could see that uh, skills made a difference. And so uh, showing them where there's a thousand people with spe- specific uh, programming language uh, helps. And I, I, I think that's the case for uh, just about every industry. Uh, and when I talk about uh, 
when I talk about segmentation, when I talk about um, uh, wage or, uh, or the type of uh, occupation or the sustainability of that occupation, it's all location matters. And as we compare all those key indicators, uh, skills is uh, built in, in there as well. And where are we gonna get uh, a sustainable strategic business operation uh, for the future of our business? And that, that is the question that gets answered uh, consistently. Hmm. If I may, I, I, like I, if you can dig in a little bit on, on that Wayne, especially in, as related to the market performance uh, indicator that you created, I think, I think this is a really, really critical piece in 2021 and a lot of a lot of the planning forward, yeah. and the puzzle yeah yeah i think moving forward it's going to be um i think there's a real evolution after this pandemic as to uh the way the business ecosystem changes and uh how we measure it and uh those key indicators and market performance uh you know really uh does a lot more than um understanding who's how, how much manufacturing is going on in a state. I mean, it's, 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 now it's more about technology and how tech savvy a population is and a service-based economy. And uh, so mark, the market performance index touches on that and, and it focuses on people and people analytics. And I think uh, that's, uh, you know, that's the most important thing, obviously, to the sustainability of, of any company and the competition for people and, uh, and their skills uh, has become a lot more important as well. And, and I don't think I've met an HR group in the last two years where that hasn't been uh, a factor. And when you can do those kind of, even when you choose, for example, if, if, if all of a sudden we choose Dallas and with HQ2 and Amazon, it was clear that Dallas was third uh, on the list for where they wanted to be and that's for because North Dallas has a growing technology community and a very tech savvy uh, population and University of Texas in Dallas for that matter is a very tech savvy university. And so it's pushing out a lot of, uh, of uh, tech workers. And so even when we uh, look at that, we can't just look at all of Dallas. Where, where are we gonna place this business operation? We have to break it down geographically uh, and to understand the micro markets. Uh, so, Macro, you know, we could say yes, New York, uh, Virginia, Washington, and uh, and Dallas. But but where where is the st uh, strategic advantage in those markets? You can place a business in the wrong area, and you know, uh, when we talk about uh, location, we consider how how long people want to drive to work, or whether people are comfortable working at home, or uh, where do we place that uh, hoteling uh, operation for? Our, um, our workers to meet and be innovative. So uh, location matters and micro locations matter when setting up a business uh, operation. And, and now uh, even more than ever, uh, uh, skills matter as well. Mm -hmm. and, and our ability, I think, to, to help, uh, help say a business uh, identify like we work with them. What is, what is, your, what is your goal? So it is very organic. It's not like a one size fit all that here is as a, you know, my KPIs, I want, I want these criteria in my location. And, and I need, I need, I'm very, very focused on this kind of talent, on this kind of 
this is my company culture. This is where I want to, uh, you know, my team to, to look like and the ability to plug in all of this with all the data that we have accumulated. Right? Well, when you think of, uh, well, we're talking about stay-at-home jobs, but I mean, that's the not the entire economy. We have a whole manufacturing economy that's really important. And how is that shifting? And uh, are, there, are we going to smaller micro uh, businesses? And when you talk about how custom it is, it really is to every business operation. So I, I think of Vroom, uh, you know, the company that delivers the cars on the flatbed with a bow around it. And... Uh, the way we help them is we help them understand who their customer was first, which is the people they're selling to, and then uh, did a center of gravity on lo where location matters about where the clusters of customers are uh, before they can set up their business operation. Then does that business operate, does that location that we identify support the business operation with both the skills and, and the right kind of labor? This... Um... <clears throat> This all makes me think of efficiencies. And um, that's always been the most exciting ingredient of this sort of grand endeavor for me is, uh, and now with the locational piece, um, it really starts to come together, right? Like one of the things that um, we're really trying to do at AMZ is create um, a free flowing exchange of information about skill needs from individuals we have tools that allow individuals to log on and basically define themselves in terms of skills. Educators and what they're able to offer in terms of skills and employers and what they need in terms of skills. And, you know, you have these three um, sectors, basically, if we say people, education, and work. Um, and then those are all sort of abstractions that sit on top of actual regional realities where all of these different things exist. And forever making any kind of um, comparison or inference about the flow of skills from an individual into a job or from an education into a job and an individual, all those combinations. Um, it's generally always been through some kind of translation from zip codes to sock codes or from a job title to a, you know, an educational degree that you got in order to get a certain kind of job title. Um, it was all different units of description for capabilities and needs. And the ability to describe capabilities and needs and educational offerings using the same library of skills, words, um, such that we can just continuously exchange information between these three sectors. And now with a geographical routing, um, the, the real long game here is profound. Um, you know, I, 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 there's, an, there's an analogy that I, that, that I think about when I think about this, which is before there were trade deals all over the world, countries exchanged trade and, you know, trade was exchanged. There was economies and, 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 and it worked. Um, but with the advent of actual like trade deals, suddenly there was much less lost in translation all of the inefficiencies between countries or between companies and the economies grew because of those increased efficiencies and i see this as the same sort of thing right we are 
essentially establishing common languages across these three major spheres of supply and demand of capabilities, human capabilities, and um, tying them to locations where location is relevant and what this potentially means for global economic efficiency is just, it's astronomical if we project this, um, I mean, certainly even 10 years down, down, down the road. I mean, it's happening now. These are projects that we're working on. Um, but that's always been the thing that has really um, lit a fire in me about this, this work is the amazing opportunities to improve efficiencies and how we exchange talent and education and employment opportunities around the world now. You know, when we first started talking about this, we were thinking within the US really, but really it's now a global playground and it's gonna be a fascinating journey that we're on. And highly, but the thing highly is, Yeah, and I think what is unique about, about MZ in all of this is, um, we don't treat whether whether it is education or or a skill as a thing. Um, many many um, you know competitors are are treating these as like okay these are like three criteria here it meets two criteria sixty percent there you go. But we rather use a like abstract all this information into some for, form of a shape. And you're matching a shape rather than a thing. Like, you know, if, if you're looking at a picture and, and, and you, you, you know this is a difference between the nose of a cat versus a nose of a human being, you, you will understand because of how it is located and, and what, is, what is surrounding it. And because of this very, very unique and, 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 um, and, and specific way of abstracting the information in the document into a shape and then and then matching based on that rather than on things um, and 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 doing it in a very very efficient and at the mass level uh, is allowing us to quickly not just match but identify big gaps big opportunities big insights simultaneously while we are pointing to the immediate opportunity, whether it is, you know, the best location for you is here. But then these are all other elements that you may want to, you know, consider as in, in your in your longer journey or the best, uh, you know, the best talent, the best match for you is this person. But if you're looking longer term in terms of your objectives, that other person may not may match less but actually has a lot bigger growth opportunity for your for your company so that that like can you can you empower that every decision takes you closer and closer to your strategic goal not just the immediate need is something that we want to we want our insights to more and more embed yeah and not only from an organizational perspective like i think of this as a person you know think about when we were young and starting in our career, like granted, we did not go into the teaching field, but I live in the New York Metro city area. And if I was going to be a teacher, when I graduated from school in New York city, I would have probably lived with 11 people in a one bedroom apartment <laughs> because that's all I could have afforded. But I didn't understand the opportunity costs of making the decisions that I made at that time. So even 
I was not in that world, but I was living in South Carolina and the, you know, that's where I went to school and the job that I was offered in South Carolina, you know, based on the numbers that I was making there versus the numbers I was making in New Jersey, like, did it actually make sense for me to move to, but a lot of people don't think about this. And a lot of companies don't think about that ahead in that way, in terms of their talent. And I think we're going to start to get towards that. And it's not only because of all of these data pieces, it's also because of the learning and employment record movement that's happening right now as well, because people are starting to get, you know, control of their own data. And I, I'm truly seeing in all of these years that at least I've been working on this, you know, the control has always been in the hands of the educators and the employers. And it has really started to make a shift into the person's hands. And when that shift happens, how are employers going to handle that? Because then, you know, like Wayne was saying with the various locations, I mean, your talent pool is going to look a lot different. They're going to have a ton of choice because they're going to know and be able to communicate the, the steps that they want to make. They're going to know that I'm not going to live in Austin to do this. I'm going to live over here to do this. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I want to travel. So I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to do this. Like they're going to know it's going to make a huge, I think it's going to make a huge difference. Exciting. Yeah, you know, you, you see, that was a good analogy about about the noses because not only because you like cats. Did <laughs> <laughs> I mention my little doggy? <laughs> but you know, um, I think a lot of um, I think a lot of folks think that we're still in like a big data place in the world, and we certainly are. We're just creating more and more data, but we've created so much data that big data itself is no longer valuable. We have to be able to extract meaning out of that data. Mm. And so back to your analogy about a dog nose and a human nose, right? There is meaning to be derived from knowing that they are both noses, they have things in common, and that they are different kinds of noses that have very different strengths and weaknesses, right? And if you just look at the data itself, you're not going to be able to, um, to make those differentiations because it's just a bunch of data and it takes um, very sophisticated analytics um, and still to this day, a bunch of human curation in order to translate those data into <clears throat> meaningful metrics or meaningful values or meaning. Um, and that's really, I think the big challenge, um, not just in our space, but in all Mm -hmm. in all industry these days is um, not being buried under data, um, which it's so easy to do. You just open up a tap these days and there it is. You know, there's no escaping it. Um, and we're all under immense pressure to utilize data, but there's a difference between using data and using meaning. And there's a big leap between data and meaning. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's been one of the most uh, powerful and empowering things about um, your work, Justina, and, and the whole sort of paradigm that our particular clustering approach has brought to this, right, is it's really about surfacing meaning in a way that allows us to identify what is in common and what is different. Yes. Yeah. Through the comparison of meaning, mm -hmm. the comparison of data. The uh, you know, I wanted to add to that, uh, you know, it, it seems like every time I talk to somebody or I see projects being done before I get involved, uh, it, they have this descriptive sort of attempt to 
understand, for example, where to go and set up a business. And um, rather than a predictive and prescriptive approach, which is, which is the prescriptive approach is really more necessary. But um, I want to talk about what Justina said too, which is the shift to creating uh, university programs that deal with very different skills. You can't, so if you ask a programmer to solve a social problem, there can be a lack of skills and the ability to do that. And so you start to look at interdisciplinary and that becoming much more important than it ever has been. I mean, we've been talking about interdisciplinary for, you know, since the eighties, but, um, uh, but, but it's become important. You can't just have, for example, a pandemic with uh, doctors saying, shut down the economy. You need to have an interdisciplinary group uh, people with skills that understand the economy, understand education, understand uh, medical issues, uh, different types of medical issues, uh, and, and policy people, government people, all working together to, uh, to driving toward a strategy. Well, I think it's the same thing in any data-driven result that you need people with uh, a diverse set of skills in order to be able to uh, use Monte Carlo simulation or machine learning and understand social science and understand uh, how to solve problems. So uh, I, I totally agree with you. And another reason why these small scale educational offerings are so critical, right? It used to be that you couldn't be um, an AI machine learning expert unless you did a computer science degree. Um, now you can do a social science degree and take a couple of online courses and you know, be able to bring that technical expertise in. And so it's much easier to create interdisciplinary individuals in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this vast crumbling of silos that's happening um, geographically, thematically, um, you know, infrastructurally, it's really, uh, you know, there's always going to be need for specialization, mm-hmm. but, um, the kinds of, or the degree of specialization um, is changing and it's on a trajectory to um, be profoundly changed in the next 10 years. Yeah, and um, is the, for example, in companies, is the CIO really relevant anymore for any company? It's more like a managerial position now it's versus now it's about data and analytics. And okay, so we need a, we need a tech stack for that. And that can be managed like a, an office manager now, I think. I think that that is one position that is, is not as important now than a, a you know somebody who's uh, a chief analytics officer, for example, uh, helping uh, strategically drive a company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true, so many changes. Well, on the plus side though, we're all getting close to the end of 2020, which I think we all want to leave behind us. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just, more days focus on the future. <laughs> well, we're coming close to the end of our time, but I wanted to leave space for each of you to be able to share with us completely open-ended some, any of the parting thoughts that you would like to share, hopes, dreams, you choose. And we're always going to have to go ladies first because we all have manners. <laughs> you set me up again. Well, for me, like the, uh, the dream always has been to connect the dots. That the whatever 
that, you know, whatever the, the employer needs, imagine that the student slash job seeker has a crystal ball into it and vice versa. And we're able to connect the dots. And so now every individual can, can actually, with every decision they're making, they have full agency, but also are their contribution to whatever, you know, their community themselves, the businesses that they are part of is like many fold more because with that connectivity. So mm -hmm. my dream has always been to, to build a sort of more and more of the platform, not just the insights that every individual is looking at the same, the same kind of facts, but from their own keen perspective and it's all adding up that really you know adam smith invisible hand has never been been true without full transparency and full you know full sharing of of, of information and insights uh, but whatever fact the employer needs to see are different and yet there are there are things that both you know, all parties, even the workforce developer need to, to see. So um, with that, like, how can, how can I connect those, the employers, the job seeker, the student, the training provider more and more to become almost like a well-balanced chair that you sit and everything is working properly. You're not falling off. Nothing is jittery. Nothing is just stable, and you're able to 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 perform in it. That's that's my hope that the pieces of the puzzle becomes the perfect perfect picture. On to you, Stuart. Main <laughs> page before beauty. <laughs> No, you did not. <laughs> Whatever. Um, all right. Beauty before age. Um, you know, I think for me, um, this feels like we're approaching um, what I think of as the, the true democratization of education. And, you know, education for... Uh, for career opportunities and you know life success is important, um, but it's not the only reason it's important, right? Um, a, a country needs an educated populace to an extent, mm -hmm. uh, sort of a common understanding of um, expectations of society and reality, um, and education, particularly in the last. 10, 20 years has become um, an elite opportunity. Not everybody can access it. And it's only gotten worse. Mm -hmm. and higher educational institutions have kind of competed for students um, with more and more and more fancy um, offerings, um, which have been amazing for people who can afford it, but you know, cut out increasingly more and more people or just leave us burdened with enormous debt. So I'm really uh, very excited by the notion of educational institutions that have none of the institutional expenses of real estate, 
of all of the stuff that have made a lot of uh, modern higher education so expensive. So it makes full degrees, graduate school degrees more accessible. Um, but people who don't wanna go and do that traditional educational pathway can still obtain education through these other kinds of opportunities, small scale things that they can just build the skills that they need for the careers that they want. And um, I just think it's really, um, they were on the cusp of something quite special here. And um, I don't wanna get political, but I think quite necessary. Um, you know, we need to have, um, particularly in a world where we are all drowning in information and there, it's not gonna get any better. We're all gonna be inundated with more information. Um, we need a society that um, is information savvy and has um, had the opportunity to learn how to utilize and wield and manage information. And so as much as I am excited about what this does for individuals and their ability to um, ownership of their own careers and really unleash their professional imagination, um, I think that beneath that is something almost or even more important. It's just access to education. And um, you know, the, the more the merrier. Mm -hmm. and, um, so I, I really look forward to seeing where this, where this takes us. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm gonna build on top of that. I mean, it's uh, education is, it's clear that uh, uh, just a good foundation, uh, elementary school education is uh, going to uh, uh, create a very strong uh, local market. And uh, built on top of that and thinking about market performance is gonna be, that's what we're gonna be measuring. You know, how good is that education system? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's gonna start with uh, the early years and it's gonna go to university and uh, anybody who's got a lot of strength in that is gonna have a strong market because, uh, you know, data and information are important. And uh, that's, and, and we understand that at MZ because, uh, you know, we're, we're already starting to think about that uh, market performance in an index based on technology and that's how tech savvy uh, and understanding where those clusters are and how, um, how strong those skills are in those markets. Thank you guys. One last quick round. I want to find out um, where to find, if someone wants to come and check out what you're up to, do you have a social, do you each have a social platform that you are active on? Justina, I think you're LinkedIn. Is that right? LinkedIn, yep. LinkedIn. Stuart, LinkedIn where do you like well. to hang out? I, I have LinkedIn as well. <laughs> uh, I'm not especially active on it, but, but I'm on there. So you can see um, what I'm up to. Okay, perfect. Wayne? Yeah, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay, active on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. And for anyone that's interested in learning more about what we're up to at MZ, um, of course, MZ is also active on LinkedIn, but you can go to economicmodeling.com um, or where we handle our skills stuff is skills.mzdata.com. So you can check us out there. But thank you all for joining today. This was a lot of fun. And like a little like just off the cuff, which I love um, and our special holiday treats. <laughs> so, and thank you all for listening into Let's Talk About Skills Baby. Uh, we are available on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. Come check out, um, go ahead, subscribe, 
hand, give us some feedback, give us a review, we'd love to have it. And of course, if you wanna find me, I am on all the socials, but available mostly, uh, most active on LinkedIn as well. So thank you guys. Hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their 2020. And here is to a fabulous 2021. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers to that. <laughs>